with a pinball wizard. So this is just life now. Yeah. There's something about the audio quality of this that makes it sound like a bad VHS recording of an advert. Yeah, a little bit. I feel nostalgic for something I've never heard before. Say too bad, you fucking thing. Do more talking for the podcast. Pinball wizard, more like pinball slizzard. That one cheats anyway. Doesn't matter, it just became tax deductible. Oh, don't you worry about it, they all will be. Is that a digital pinball thing or a physical thing you had there? It's one of them, you know the old LCD games? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The little grey screen with the black pictures that flash around. Yeah. As a pinball simulation, borderline unplayable. But interesting. I've picked up some interesting machines. And I'm going to play with them on Twitch at some point. I'm going to get a camera on the table and show them off. Because the delay doing video game pinball is bullshit. I'll talk about that a little later, but I just thought you'd like... That one talks. I should have brought the other one in that talks, because it goes Pikachu. Pikachu? Oh, God, it's, it yells Pikachu. And then there's Ash. Oh, Pikachu, oh, friendship, all of that shit. I'll tell you what, right? It's got all your favourites on it. It's got Pikachu... Squirtle, Bulbasaur, Charmander, Meowth, and the other one is fucking Ekans. Oh, shit. Hell fucking yeah. Seemingly at random. I mean, it's not... It's clearly not at random. That's the best Pokemon. It's true. I mean, it is the best Pokemon, but, like, for one blessed pinball-flavoured moment, Game Freak recognised it. I mean, they probably had nothing to do with that. I like to imagine whoever designed that was, like, I like Ekans as well as Jim Sterling, who wasn't even using that name at that point. But I'm going to put it on for them. And they used them. It's not that hard, Paul Atlas. <laughs> it's not that hard. Outsports done an article. That was... Outsports did a lovely article. You did real good in that, Laura. I'm glad. When they reached out to me, I did my vetting to be like, oh God, a sports outlet wants to talk about... Trans stuff and sports Let's just check they're alright before we say anything But they did a really good job They were very very respectful And didn't give either of the commenters A fucking inch Yeah, just a straightforward reporting of, Of what happened Which is enough to damn them Unless you're some of the people Who responded to me in the aftermath You know, oh it's not that important It's just my identity Mate I wouldn't mind. That's the best one. I wouldn't mind if if someone used different pronouns for me. Yes, you would. If that's what you constantly got, yes, you fucking would. Oh, it's not grammatically correct. It is. Stop with the dog whistle, you pricks. Uh... I'm in a mood today. I'm in a mood. I had to walk out in this heat. This heat wave's bullshit. Today's a bit of a fucking day. Yeah, this heat wave's bullshit. It's been a day. Pinball wizard cheats. And wouldn't even say too bad for the podcast. (laughs) It's trying to make the ball go down the hole, and it loves to go down the hole. Have you ever tried to play an LCD pinball game with just pictures of balls flashing? I mean, there's very limited places the ball can go if you're on an LCD screen with only limited spots that the ball could be on. Yeah, it's bullshit. Cute, though. I mean, that's a lot (laughs) of what I've got at the moment. Cute, but bullshit. Very much like myself. Oh, I'm tired.
I'm tired too. Very tired and cranky. But we gotta power through being tired, because video games are a thing that exists that we gotta talk about. No, no, they're not. Some of us have played them and or seen news about them, and we should probably engage with that. Should we? Just philosophically, on a, on a larger scale, should anyone? I think that it, it is better for us than everything else out in the world right oh, now. Man. Video games, far from the worst. I'll tell you what, though, personal policy, just personal. I ain't covering Activision's games no more. Not unless, well, I'm only covering the bullshit they do. Yeah, that's fair. That and EA, both of them. I'm done with them. Not giving them more money. They've had enough out of me with tax subsidies. Yeah, that's a thing to remind people. Yeah. Hey, not only do they make infinity money and pay no taxes, but they somehow get paid money back in tax refunds. You are subsidising their being incredibly profitable and giving millions to yeah. their executives. That's that's what you're doing with your taxes. With the money you earned from the work you've been forced into through coercion, with your life under threat... And then Activision thought it would just steal some of that as well. Uh, Activision robs the American people blind. It's just wholesale theft. And people are fine with it. And people will buy Call of Duty. Which, <laughs> I mean, they get subsidies. They're bringing in billions. Bobby Kotick is pocketing another $155 million. And Activision fought so hard for that that if they diverted even a little bit of effort, Call of Duty would be good. Yeah. So I played some things this week. Do you want to hear about what I played? Yeah, let's hear about things you played. I hope it was Black Ops 3. Ooh. It wasn't Black Ops 3, but if you want to play that before next week and talk about it, you can go right ahead. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> don't. I know it was a joke what you said, but for the record, I fucking don't. <laughs> so I started playing today a little bit of Doki Doki Literature Club Plus. Right, all I ever hear about is this game and how weird it is. Okay, so this is a port with a bunch of additional content that's been added as well as bringing it to consoles. I'm just going to talk kind of directly about it because I think anyone that doesn't want to be spoiled on it has had plenty of chance to be aware of the spoiler for this. It is a game that presents itself initially as a very light-hearted visual novel about joining a literature club at a school and very quickly becomes a horror experience. I won't go into what the nature of that is, but it is it is a horror game wrapped up in cute aesthetics. What I find interesting about this port is some of the changes that have been made compared to the original game. So Doki Doki Literature Club was originally a PC title that did come up with a very brief warning on screen at the beginning that was like, hey, this is intended for mature audiences, and not much clarification as to what that meant. And it tried very much to play the reveal of, oh, this is a secret horror experience. You know, they played it as a bit of a bit of a, a shock to try and shock the players with yeah. later. The new port, as well as having additional content, is much, much, much more upfront about the fact it's a horror experience, which is why I don't feel bad talking about that, you know, quite directly here. The new Switch version, it's on other consoles as well, I can't remember which ones, opens the game with a very direct, hey, just so you're aware, this is a horror game, this is quite a disturbing horror game, would you like us to run you through before you've even made it to the main menu? some of the kinds of themes that this horror game will address. It's cats with human hands, isn't it? It's cats with human hands. God damn, they can climb up ladders, 
Sorry. They, they can climb up ladders. <laughs> Sorry, I thought that was, I didn't know that was the whole thought. Uh, I'm just saying, if you go somewhere high to avoid the cats with hands, they, there's like infinite ways they can get to you. <laughs> right. So yeah, it, it, it's much more upfront, and it's like right, right from the start. Do you want to know the general overarching? horror topics that will show up in this. Okay. And regardless of whether you say yes or no to that, there is an option in the the menu that it's it's off by default, but you can turn it on. That will give you individual specific content warnings before particularly disturbing scenes come up, which I'm really happy to see included. It's one of those things that because this game is a horror game and so much of how it was built up by the gamers when it originally came out is you have to go in not knowing all. There was this real energy around the people who were playing it of it's not worth playing it unless you can get a bit traumatised by suddenly getting caught off guard with quite a horrific horror thing when it takes its turn. Um, there was a whole genre of, of playthroughs of, oh, I'll just put this in front of someone who doesn't know it's a horror thing and we'll record their reaction. It's really nice seeing the developers not fall for the trap of pandering to that audience and going, no, we've taken on board feedback that this is quite an intense fucking game. We're going to try and make it more accessible to people by giving people the information to engage with it in a healthy way and to have warnings about scenes coming up if that would be helpful to them. Fair enough. That's nice. Yeah, I have a lot of respect for that. I, I, yeah. It just opens up an opportunity for an audience to trust you as a developer with your next thing, which can go one of two ways. It can be a setup for a much better prank later, or, you know, you wind up with a development team that's respectful of their audience and continues to be inclusive and, and, and grow support. It feels like a real positive sign that these people can be trusted to whatever they make next, be respectful. I would have liked it if they'd have gone the other way, and <laughs> you expect the horror, because everyone does now. I, I heard about the subversion, you know, you, you hear it before you hear about the game these days. They should have just done a nice little game about a literature club. I quietly hope that their next thing is not horror in any way, shape or form. It is just a nice, gentle yeah. visual novel. Or it starts, it starts as a horror. <laughs> and then you just like, you just hang out with monsters. Like you're working at Ubisoft. Oh, the only other thing I wanted to say is I know some people who uh, are curious about this port will be wondering. If you play this on console... There is a fake backend you can quit out of the game to a pretend desktop. For anyone who has played that and is curious about the PC port, that is how certain things are handled. Oh, it's one of those games. It's one of those games, I, I think I think it's fair enough to say, on PC there were things you had to do on your PC in order to interact with the game, mm. and people were wondering how's that going to work on console. There is just a fake desktop you can go to. And anything you would have done on your PC, you can do on this fake desktop. So, yeah, I've not got much else to say about it other than it is a respectful port that does a, a smart job of how to get around some of the limitations of this was designed to be on PC mm -hmm. and doesn't really work with a console unless you pretend it's a PC. I might give it a go this time around. I think it's an interesting game that's worth experiencing so long as you don't mind it has a bit of a slow build up. Mm-hmm. It takes its time getting to the thing it's going to get to, and you have to be okay with quite a considerable amount of tone setting. In theory, I am. Mm -hmm. In practice, I've got an attention disorder. In practice, the problem may be it's a lot of reading to do. Yeah. 
But if you can get through a slow build-up of, of things to read, it is worthwhile for its payoff. Maybe. I'd have to... Like, I never got to get as deep into Paradise Killer as I wanted because my brain just fell off. And I hate that. Genuinely hate that. Mm. Can't force it, though. No, it is what it is. Sometimes lots and lots of reading is not what the brain agrees with. But it's got no problem keeping me up at midnight looking at vintage pinball fucking machines. (laughs) Putting them all on a watch list because even though some of them are super expensive, no one's actually buying them. So I want fucking deeper discounts than that for that Dragon Ball Z (laughs) machine, mate. I don't care how many fucking Gokus are on it. What about you both? What have you played this week? Well... There was a new Dungeons and Dragons game, uh, the Dark Alliance, which is like... I watched like, you play that. Yeah, it's trading on the name of the old Dark Alliance. It's, uh, it's exhausting. It's fine. I'm uh-huh. sure if you like playing co-op multiplayer games with people and are interested in a high fantasy setting, it's fine. I am not particularly interested in either of those things. I had hoped it would be playable in single player to some extent. It's not. The enemy volume is too great to really be fun in combat as a lone participant. You need somebody drawing some of that aggro. You need just a little bit of help just to keep the numbers thinner. Uh, And the enemies are all real spongy on top of that. I had attempted to play a mission at, you know, the difficulty level appropriate to my rating and was struggling to do it just because there were just too many enemies that took way too long to kill more than anything, Uh, which was kind of a drag. It's fine enough. Like it, it, the environments are pretty cool looking. The combat system is actually not bad. It's just I feel like I'm playing a serious Sam game with the number of enemies that are crawling all over me. So I'm not that into it. Uh, maybe other people yeah. will like it if that's a kind of thing that you're into. It's on Game Pass, so it's not like it cost me anything to play, and maybe it won't cost you anything to try it out. I I hesitate to say it's awful, but it, it's certainly not built for me. Mm-hmm. I was offered a review code for it. I thought, you know what? Doesn't happen very often now, you know, since I've burned so many bridges. But get the PS5 version, maybe, without paying for it and do coverage on it. Uh, Then they didn't get back to me. So that game could fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) Looks like it might be my kind of thing for a while, though. Up to a point where I get bored of it. Yeah, I hear there's something like 20-something maps. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how much revisitation there is. I mean, there's. It's clearly one of these games where you're going to redo missions to get better loot on higher you know, difficulties and, yeah. and on and on and on with that, which fine. So it, it feels like a live service game, potentially, but it's not. Yeah. They're, they've got some DLC coming for it, they've said, and that's pretty much it. So. Okay. I can appreciate that, at least. Yeah, it's nice to, you know, play the games you buy. Yeah, yeah. Not vague promises or empty shells that only serve to make you spend more money. Yeah. 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 I don't mind that companies don't send me shit. That's fine. That was always going to happen. Don't waste my time. (laughs) Just don't waste my fucking time. I got things to do. I got people to choke slam. Laura, you play anything else? Me? Yeah, well, I know you've played more things. Yeah, I, I, I got a couple of other things I've played. 
so I've been playing through a game called Chicory, Ooh. which is on uh, PC. It's also on PlayStation consoles. It is a charming, wonderful little game if you're in the mood for something slow and just working your way through nicely. It is a game in a world where colour is painted into the world by people who are passed down this magic paintbrush, and you don't play as the next wielder of the magic paintbrush. You play as someone who just cleans their office building, essentially. You're a little anthropomorphic dog character, and suddenly all of the colour that's been painted onto the world vanishes, and the wielder of the paintbrush is missing, and you go, maybe I could be the hero, and you pick up this paintbrush and you start going out trying to paint the world back back into, into light. This paintbrush mechanic is used in really nice ways, both in terms of like its narrative importance, but also mechanics. There's things to do with certain elements will uh, change size or change shape when they're coloured in. Sometimes you have to deliberately colour things in and then erase the colour from them later to interact with puzzles. There are platforms that, as you sort of spring across them, will spray colour across the environment and that'll sort of colour in the world as you're going. It's a really lovely little top-down isometric platformy game that deals with some pretty tense themes of things like depression in places in tasteful and well-handled ways, but are kind of tough in places. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't want to suggest that indie developers are almost all depressed, but almost all their games are about depression. I mean... Anyone cre in a creative job is usually depressed. No, not me. I prefer to think of myself as perpetually optimistic. I'd love to make a game about depression. <laughs> I will say, the way that this game does handle depression is very nuanced and is a really interesting take on using mechanics to interpret that and to not have you playing as the character who's dealing with depression, but as someone who is on the outside looking into that situation and maybe initially a little oblivious to what's going on. I really like some of the design choices made with this game. The game has a really nice uh, hint system that is very well woven into the game in a way that makes narrative sense and is nicely handled. Every now and then you'll find phone boxes and you can pick up the phone and call your mum and she'll give you a gentle hint as to sort of what you should be doing next. But the whole time there is your dad's hand is reaching towards the phone ever closer, ever closer, and she's like... Look, Dad knows the answer and he's itching to tell you. Do you want me to put him on the phone and he'll tell you exactly what to do or are you you're good? I love that. That is... I, I legitimately yeah. love that framing. It's, it's a wonderful framing. And if you give him the phone, he'll talk like a very rambly, like a very fast-paced conspiracy theorist. Like, right, here's what you got to do. Here's what you got to do. I've been researching. I've been following this up. I know all the secrets. Oh my gosh. Aww. It's lovely flavor mm -hmm. to something that is basically just, hey, let's help you work your way out through the game. There's some really nice success ability settings on offer, particularly one that I've never seen done before, which is a setting for people with misophonia, which is particularly intense negative emotional responses to certain sounds. Mm -hmm. The example here is this is a game about painting. There is a lot of wet sounds when you're sort of splodging paint onto the, the canvas. You can turn those off entirely. You can go, oh, those those sounds, they do bad for my brain. Just, just turn the wet sounds off. Cool. It's just a really nice, thoughtful little thing. Yeah. Other thoughtful stuff in this game's design that really won me over. As you're going through the world, you find uh, you can find treasure chests that will have cosmetic items you can dress your character up in. There is a shop you can go to where it's like, hey, did you find 
a piece of outfit out in the world that you really are never going to wear. There's a box out there somewhere that you missed earlier in the game that has an item that you would like. Oh. I'll just swap them around. Give us the thing that you don't want and we'll give you something out of a box you missed earlier. That's pretty cool. Yeah, you, you can actively go, I found this many cosmetic items. Which ones? Oh, mix and match. Have the ones you want, but you can only have as many as you've found, you know, collectibles. That's neat. Which is a nice way of handling it, I think. It is a short, colourful, little, wholesome adventure. I had a really nice time with it. The characters were all very, very nicely written. There's a lot of interesting writing about, like, living up to expectations and stuff like that. It's real good. I, I, I really recommend it. I've uh, had my eye on this for a little bit now. Because um, yeah. I, I think uh, a couple months ago I saw a trailer for it or something. I thought, oh, this is real neat. And and it's um, Greg uh, Lobanov, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, who did Wander Song. Yes. You can tell this is made by the person who made Wander Song. Yeah. The way the narrative is dealt with... Some of the being a protagonist who's maybe a little bit out of their depth in the world-saving plot that they are in. The magic of artistic creation. A lot of those themes are very, like, yeah, I can see the same person made this. Yeah. I'm eager to check it out because it does look like a lot of fun. I really think it's worth playing. It, it, is, it is very good. What about you, Conrad? Have you played anything else? Oh, gosh, I sure did. Well, okay, this is sort of, yeah, I don't know how thematic relevant. I've been playing a game called Fury Unleashed by Awesome Game Studio. The Steam sale's going on, right? Yes, yes. And actually, yeah, I can tell about this. I can talk about this other fun game that I've been playing. I I don't know if this is like part of the Steam sale that they're doing something fun and different with the Steam mobile app um, and the store there, or they just have a shitty store. I, you could probably guess, but it was the recommendations, like the tailored recommendations list. None of the graphics were loading. Oh, so I couldn't see the names of the games or the, you know, art to sort of guide me. I would just see the plain gray background, but I could see the original price and how much it's been discounted in the sale. So it got to be a fun game of like, you know, almost like opening up a loot box, right? <laughs> and finding out, ooh, is this actually something I'd want? And uh, and then I wound up, I wasn't going to buy anything in the Steam sale. I wound up buying a couple of games. I was like, oh, you know what? I will spend four bucks on this. Sure. <laughs> One of the games I grabbed is this Fury Unleashed. It is a 2D platforming roguelike. And its sort of framing is that you are in a comic book. And so the stages are each stage is two pages of a comic book and you move between the panels inside of that page to make up the map. And you move with the left analog, jump with the left trigger, shoot with the right analog, that kind of dual stick arrangement. Um, you've got grenades, you've got a, a dash, a double jump, all of your sort of basic shit right there. And what's interesting about it mechanically is the game is very combo driven as you kill enemies Every kill adds to a combo. You keep the combo going by breaking environmental objects or passing into new rooms or using the fast travel to get to a new room or interacting with a chest. Lots of things will keep that combo alive for you. If you take damage, it ends, but you'll eventually get abilities that will allow you to take up to three or more hits before your combo is broken. And you can regenerate those by adding to your combo. It's conceivably possible if you were good enough at this game to have a combo that starts at stage one, one and ends at the very end of the game nonstop. 
You can stomp on enemies, you know, like with a ground pound type deal. It's very, very flexible. It's very fast. And there's a pretty cool variety of weapons, your shotguns, your assault rifles, your pistols. You start with a, an SMG, rail guns, rocket launchers, flamethrowers, acid launchers, sonic weapons. And these are all unlocked in collections by meeting one character in a room after you've cleared it of enemies that gives you a sketch that you have to then take to another character called the Ink Master that then colors it and then provides it to you at the start of your next run. And then they're in the pool forever. There's also a skill tree development. Uh, you gain levels based on experience. Um, and then that translates to skill points that can be pumped into a variety of things that, you know, increase combo length, increase rewards from kills, starting max health, crit damage up, those sorts of things. Pretty basic. But one of the things I think is kind of curious about and that's drawn me in more than I thought I would be is that there is this narrative running through it. Every time you complete a set of pages, you have an encounter with a character named Mr. Doodle, who is helping to relate what's going on in the mind of the creator of these comic books, who has found success with this series and this character, but it's now waning. And they're not really finding anything to connect with. And they're wondering if they've been wasting their whole life making this stupid comic book when there's all of these horrible things happening in the world. And it's... Losing subscribers week by... Sorry. Well, I I can't... I, I couldn't help but think, you know, of you to some extent. Yeah, as I was <laughs> playing this, I thought, wow, I wonder how this would hit Steph. And so I'm curious to to keep going through it. I'm, I'm about the... Uh, I'm at... The second comic, I think there's three comics total. The first comic's set in a, you know, South American temple type deal. But uh, the second comic's killing Nazis. So I'm in. You know, I wish it started with Nazis. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I'll, I'll kill Nazis all day. But yeah, it's fun. I like it. It's the art style, it is a, like a comic book, but it's a very paper doll comic style, I guess I'd say. And that sort of look always makes me worry how well it's going to control and feel in animation. And admittedly, I don't think it looks particularly, the animation doesn't look particularly great, but it does handle very, very well. And it very quickly, I found it easy to get a handle on leveraging the maneuverability that that character has. I don't really have any complaints ultimately about it, but I did have some concerns. But it's a good game. I, I'm I'm enjoying it. I'm gonna keep playing. It also has a co-op mode, which is fun. And it has a couple of modes themed around other video games. I think there's like I think one is based on Dead Cells. There's a Necrodancer gameplay mode too where you you know try to attack to the beat that I haven't tried because Necrodancer sounds Anything Necrodancer mechanics applied to it terrifies me, but that's there. A lot of difficulty settings. I'm into it. It's pretty cool. That's, uh, yeah, Fury Unleashed. Cool. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Well, someone else. I played Final Fantasy VII. Well, been replaying Final Fantasy VII Remake. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I can't overstate enough how great the characterization of Aerith is in that game. Just how fucking likable she is it would have been so easy to accidentally make her come across really flat and bland mm -hmm. and that if they've avoided the traps of oh you're just nice and there's not really anything else there yeah i mean like that's the at least the translation of the the original Aerith 
never particularly interested me. Because there wasn't much to her. But she's so much more endearing here. Oh, she's fucking wonderful in this. And the interplay with Cloud, like, I'm up to that point now where, you know, they're going through the slums together. Mm. And they're, they're a great double act. They did such a good job, I think, with the whole main cast of their characterization. For the most part, yeah, I think so. Um, I find still find Cloud a bit too dour. More so than he was originally portrayed. Works very well when next to Aerith. But yeah, like Barrett, I, I said when the, the, the game first came out, like, unlike the, with the original, I can actually understand why these people are following someone who in the original was portrayed as just really abusive. Really abusive and unpleasant to be around. Um, whereas in this one, it's like he's surly and, and you know, pissed. Uh, but with good reason, and he's such an orator. Like they, they really sort of show that he's charismatic as a leader and inspires people. He's that perfect mixture of charismatic speaker who very clearly feels impassioned about their cause and is like, "Hey, I'm going to get you to see why I feel so life and death about this." Yeah, like when he goes on a tear, when he goes on one of his impassioned speeches, like it's really cool. And he's practically David Koresh. Yeah. Also, that game's very anti-capitalist. Why don't people see that? <laughs> Why do they not see it unless you explicitly say the C word and then they get upset? I don't know how people don't see, hey, here's a game about how we should tear down the big mega corporation that doesn't think at all about the wealth of the of the overall people and is yeah. only concerned with its own power and wealth and... We're going to get our band of plucky upstarts to go use physical force if required to tear down the people that are oppressing the nation. By the time Heidegger's yelling, bread and circus, like if you don't get it, there's no helping you. He yells bread and circus. Fuck it out. It's an electric power company that has undue power itself over the world it's a corporation that's like hey what if we just crushed entire portions of the populace just to you know to to make a point to so that we could do it for our own gains yeah like it's not even subtle like it's actually heavy-handed i mean it's more subtle than the jimquisition lately about it because they don't say the c word but it's close. Hey, the two big villains, at least at the start in Final Fantasy VII, are capitalism and the need to save the world from from environmental collapse. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a climate change game. The original always yeah. was. You know, there was strong anti-capitalist stuff in there too. Electricity companies are destroying the planet and have no desire to, you know, stop that. Yeah. Because it's profitable. <laughs> yeah, energy for them is just make as much money until time has completely run out. And yeah, yeah. Uh, like, they even go into the fact that people know, like, it's no secret, but people don't care because they don't want to change the way they live. Like, it's, President Shinra explicitly says it. And people just want to say, you know, Sephiroth's cool. Big sword. I just, come on. It's not until you say the C word or you're an indie game and then they get it and get upset to the gamer's TM. Seven Remake's so good, though. It's the fucking combat, good. The combat's wonderful. I can't get over how fun that game is to play. Yeah, like, in my opinion, like, it, this is the, the time Square Enix finally nailed what it's been trying to do with 
the the blend of traditional and action based combat. Yeah. Uh, this is the closest they've gotten to really nailing it. Because you know I like Final Fantasy fifteen a lot. I think it's great, but I also still found the combat a little bit too messy. Um, but this one, I I really really felt they got it right. Mm. All the characterization's good. Of course, the new elements um, I still find particularly brilliant. With the caveat of it depends what this is an excuse to do in the future. Yes. I'll reiterate sort of what I said when the, when this first came out, which is I was initially a lot more sceptical, but it isn't because I didn't enjoy Remake Part 1. It's because I am doubtful of Nomura's ability to stick the landing on yeah. what he has set up. But agreed. I think it's it's ambitious and interesting, assuming it isn't an excuse to undo certain moments for fan service. Final Fantasy VII Remake takes place inside a simulation, inside Kingdom Hearts. A heart can live anywhere, even inside Final Fantasy VII. Yeah, you see? It works. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's still real good. Still real good. I haven't gone, uh, played the Yuffie episode yet. I'm replaying the original campaign to well, yeah. just do it. Uh, and they'll probably do Yuffie afterwards. Nice. Yeah. It's good. I played another thing this week. Yeah? I played the uh, the demo for Neo The World Ends With You. So did I for two minutes and then I got distracted. But I watched you play <laughs> it. Yeah, I had a lot of fun with this. So for anyone who's never played the original game, it was a DS game like 10, 15 years ago now that I really wanted to love. I really liked it. I thought it was a lot of fun, but... I couldn't get it. It was tedious. <laughs> yeah, so the the problem is, is like, I struggled with the pacing of the narrative and I didn't have the coordination for its combat system. So for anyone who's not played the original, it was a DS game where you controlled one character in combat on the top screen using buttons and one on the bottom screen using touch controls, and had to be doing both of those at once, my brain did not get on well with it. Which is a shame, because all of like the, the character design and the, the, the overall narrative concept, I loved all of what it was going for, I just didn't get on well with playing it, is the problem. So, Neo The World Ends With You is somewhat of a soft reboot. I won't go too much into the plot of the, the original game, but... It was somewhat cyclical in nature. People get trapped in a weird game. You gotta, you gotta get the top points to get out, or if you if you come last place, bad things will happen. Because of the fact that 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 game's narrative was very much about a repeating cycle of the same thing going on and on, this is basically, hey, we dropped some new characters into that setting. It's a good excuse to basically retread some of the same ground, but with some new characters. The biggest difference in this new game is the combat is so much more approachable and so much more something I enjoy. So each of your party members you have in this, this JRPG has a single attack mapped to them at any one time. As you defeat enemies, you unlock pins, which let you swap out what those attacks are, but each character has a single move equipped to them at any one time. When you get into combat, you press the buttons associated with those moves to do them, and every move has a way that you can cause it to chain into another move and do extra damage. So for a very basic starting one, it might be do a combo of mashing the melee button and when you finish the combo, it'll make an opening, which you use to chain into 
your next attack, which maybe creates an opening if you do an attack while someone's knocked up in the air, and then you can chain that into another one. It is primarily about getting into this like really nice flow state of knowing how much energy you have for your attacks and keeping those meters in check and going, okay, this attack flows into this, flows into this, back to the first, back to the second, back to the third, getting these really nice combos with no gaps in them. It is not overly complicated. It ultimately is button mash and know what amount of button mashing you need to do to give yourself that, that opening to chain the combo. But it's really satisfying. I had an awful lot of fun with the combat. I went out of my way to save before finishing the demo. The demo is like two, two and a half hours long. Because I was like, you know what? While I'm waiting for the full game to come out, I'm, I'm going to I'm gonna have a save and I'm just going to keep playing the combat a bit more because I'm enjoying it that much. I think they've done a really good job with the, the 3D cutscenes. They have translated the look of the original game into 3D very well. The music is absolutely spot on. It has got a really nice mashup of different musical genres uh, and making them all feel like they fit together, which is really nice. There is some absolutely terrible butt rock in there, some terrible new metal and whatnot. It's all very endearing. I really like this demo. I had a lot of fun with it. It feels much better paced and I enjoy the combat a lot more, which are the two things that made me fall off of the original game. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited for this. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious because I, very much like you, I really wanted to like it, but I just, I couldn't get into it. For me, the voice acting added to this really helped me stay focused on the narrative as someone that sometimes struggles with, oh, it's big walls of text. Mm -hmm. Voice acting is really well done. It doesn't come across as that sort of forced pretending to be teenagers thing that you sometimes get with JRPG voice acting, which is really nice. Mm -hmm. But yeah, as someone who wanted to love the first game and just couldn't get on with actually playing it, this has fixed everything I, I struggled with in the original, and it's really gotten me on board with playing. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Have either of you played anything else? Yeah, I uh, I played uh, Skull, the Hero Slayer. Mm. Have you seen this? This came out in January, I guess. It's a 2D platforming roguelite, again, and I guess it's just what I did this week. <laughs> and it's beautiful. Sprite work, gorgeous animation it does look nice it looks real good and you are a skeleton who is trying to rescue the demon king who's been kidnapped by humans who are uh using some sort of dark magic to control all sorts of monsters and the i guess the uh, the hook about this is that it's kind of got that kirby mechanic of where you can swap out your head for a different head oh, oh nice that has different abilities and you know movement and you know attacks and so forth and there's a variety of those. Seems really cool. Uh, you can carry two heads at one time. Your default head is actually pretty maneuverable in its own right. You come with a double jump and the air dash right out the gate. You got a little club that you swing around and you can throw your head and then teleport to where your head has landed, which is fun. Mm-hmm. Other heads are going to be like uh, the one that makes you legally distinct from Groot. <laughs> and you get to you know, hit harder and you it adds a ground stomp, but then you lose your in-air attack, which is kind of inconvenient, but also really functionally useful. And each one of these skull that you swap out for has a like a pool of a few different abilities and you'll get one of those. So there's still going to be variety amongst 
which type of skull you get, whether it's the one that does the big smashy attack or the one that does the roots in the ground attack for the, you know, the legally distinct from group character. There's a werewolf in there that's super cool. I got a gargoyle that controls kind of like a hoverboard in a video game in terms of how much horizontal fast movement it has and, and its glide. It's super fun. The game has some problems. It's it's definitely a slow build. G- gonna be doing a lot of repeating type roguelites just to feel like you're making progress. Upgrades are relatively expensive for how much resources you get to acquire them in at least the early game. The bosses are pretty unforgiving. The amount of damage that you take is significant and the healing opportunities aren't vast. A lot of enemies... They do soak a fair amount of damage. They're not necessarily hard to beat. They're just spongy. Uh, A lot of enemies, particularly in the first couple of areas, you can just walk in and just hit them and it interrupts their attack and you're just hitting them over and over and over again. And it's like, all right, but I could have done this in three hits instead of five and it would have felt better. Likewise, all of the heads can be upgraded, but the resource for those comes from discarding other heads that you don't want. And it'd be... 10 to upgrade a head and you might not get that much in an entire region if you don't go to all of the rooms that offer you heads and if you go to the rooms that offer you heads then you're not getting money to buy in the shop to buy other upgrades it's a bit restrictive in terms of what it gives you to do upgrades and some of the stuff just doesn't seem cost effective uh, which is unfortunate but It is really fun. I am getting a much stronger handle on the controls and the merits of getting different heads. And I'm now starting to be able to consistently beat the boss at the end of the first region. So that's cool. As it goes, you start to unlock new people back at the main base that give you additional things to start your runs with from a random pool. And that's helpful. Uh, It does start to offer some quality of life after a bit of play, but it that first couple of hours are like, oh gosh, I don't know how much I'm going to want to stick this through. Stick it through. It's, it it does start to open up and become more reasonable. But uh, that's Skull, the hero slayer. It's fun. I like a game where the humans are the bad guys. Yeah. Yeah. And you get arrogant heroes strutting and posing and then, you know, they're a real pain in the ass to fight and and then you eventually take them down and it's very satisfying. Mm -hmm. It's a good game. I often feel like the real monsters the real walking dead mm-hmm. are the zombies. They're the zo- it's the it's zombies. The zombies. Yeah, <laughs> they eat sure. people. Wait a minute. Do you think the 1% think the zombies are us and that we're trying to eat them? Well, we are, aren't we? We're all dead inside and we want to eat the rich. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Steph, have you played anything else this week? Oh, yeah. Um, it's not just been LCD shit vintage pinball. No. Hell no, it's been LED shit vintage pinball as well. <laughs> LCDs out. LED in. These are clever, still play like shit, but it's just a board of red LEDs and they light up to represent the ball and then they hit, you know, like a pictures basically of bumpers and things. So I got this Pokemon one which yells Pikachu and plays music. And has Ash yelling and Ekans, as I said. Little real plastic flippers. You press the button and the actual flippers are plastic and real. But you wait for the red LED to basically touch them, then press it and... 
they fly back up. The challenge doesn't come from keeping a ball in play, but from just not getting distracted by the light. It's pretty f fun. Yeah. Question mark. It's as a as a gimmick, as a novelty. It's fun. But there's another LED pinball vintage machine I've got. This one's mega old, and it's called Raise the Devil. And that is bold for a child's toy. I'm into it, yeah. Hail Satan. Raise the devil. And again, an LED board, and then it's got a, a plastic sh um, screen over it with, again, bumpers and things drawn on. And right in the middle, the face of El Diablo himself. Really kind of interesting Faustian drawing of the devil. And again... It, this time it's got LED flippers as well, which is just three dots. Only goes up to 999, and it's easier on the highest skill level because the LED moves faster and therefore more like an actual ball as much as LEDs can simulate that. Sometimes it will just, like, teleport the light to the middle of the flippers and just say, fuck you. But if you get the ball in the right place, the devil's eyes and the devil's nose light up and blink, and it goes whoop, whoop, whoop. And it is at that point, my friends, that you know you have raised the devil. <laughs> yeah, I've been pretending it's cursed to make it more fun with limited success, but I've got it. Wow. Yeah. I got one with an actual ball as well. It's really fun. It's from 1979. I think I had it as a kid, but a lot of them are, look the same. But that one's quite good. Proper metal ball. Violent fucking bumpers that vibrate and go ping. And the whole machine just goes... When you have it on, it's obnoxious as fuck. But my God, I like watching the ball hit the bumpers and make noise and lights happen. It's good. It's good. Yeah. yeah. Keeps the demons at bay. Not raise the devil, though. <laughs> I can talk very briefly about having started playing something... I've started playing the, the single-player campaign for the new Mario Golf on the Switch. Is Mario Golf still good? It depends what you want out of Mario Golf. All right. So I, I'm going to talk you through, like, the evolution of what has been happening so far in the single-player campaign. I have been having fun with it, but it's not going to be for everyone. So to start off, you're playing basically regular golf. Take as long as you want to take your shots, do your normal shots... Here's your energy meter to see how far you're going to hit it and how far it's going to go either side. It starts getting a little more arcadey, bit by bit. So your next tournament you enter, you start having to sprint along the course and run to where your ball is before you can take the next shot, and your other competitors in the tournament are doing the same, and you can knock them out the way to get to your ball faster. So that's the start of layering some some arcadey elements on. Mm -hmm. Then you start doing some tournaments that are things like, hey, what if there were nine holes on a big open area and you had 40 strokes, and you had to get the ball into all nine of those holes, you work out the route to do it, and there's some Mario enemies running around, they'll get in the way of your ball if you hit it in the wrong place. It's increasingly layering things that are not typical golf mechanics onto the experience, and I'm having fun with them. But if you particularly want your golf experience to be something methodical, where you can really take your time with your shot, the single-player campaign in this Mario Golf pushes you not to do that. It does try and pressure you to go, Okay, line up the shot. Go, 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 go. Get, get, get doing. Get, get running. Ah, uh, uh, go. 
Which is not going to be to everyone's tastes. Yeah, I have a tendency when I play golf games to want to get up and get a sandwich in between shots. Mm -hmm. You know? That's a lie. And you know it is. Because the idea of you thinking to yourself, I'm going to get myself a sandwich (laughs) or any food without coercion (laughs) is... Bullshit. <laughs> All right, fine. I was gonna. I was gonna say I want to go take. A, I want to go have a wank, but there I thought I'd have it family friendly for the podcast. <laughs> when does this have to be the family friendly <laughs> podcast? If you like the idea of a golf game where rather than waiting around between holes, it is just no. You took the shot. Just fucking keep going. This does that very well. Oh. It gives you lots of reasons to just sort of okay. You took your shot. They're already running off to hit their next shot. Get going. Go go pick up that power-up so you can go sprint through them. Knock them out of the way. Keep going. Okay, I just really... I, I just sort of thought about the implication of stopping to have a wank between holes. Which, I mean, aren't we all? <laughs> aren't we all? I mean, yeah. Yeah. <sighs> so, yeah, I've, I've not played as much of it as I would like. I'm only a couple of tournaments into it, but... um. I'm so far enjoying the creative uses of, like, this is kind of golf. I'm curious to see how many additional not-quite-golf things it's gonna it has up its sleeve to throw at me. Uh, Conrad, have you played anything else this week? Uh, the only other thing I played is something that uh, you talked about a couple of weeks ago. Is that uh, Going Under? Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, that's... Uh, I like that. It's interesting, right? Yeah, it certainly is not subtle. No, no. In a way that I appreciate. Um, it, it's so positive, relentlessly positive in its skewering, I guess. Which is strange. <sighs> it's it, 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 There's a, a real like cognitive disconnect there that I love. It's just yes. fun. The gameplay is, is is enjoyable. I've cleared the first dungeon. I've got the next two open up to me now. And yeah. uh, I'm trying to do some submissions. I like the characters. The setting's good. Mm. I'm digging it. I, I'm going to keep playing that. I'm having fun. Um, yeah, that's good. I like that. You, you you made a good recommendation there. I thought you'd, in, you'd, you'd enjoy it. It's not the most mechanically complicated or necessarily even most polished moment-to-moment-to-play no. roguelike out there, but it makes up for that with its presentation and its creativity, I think. Yeah, the, the character movement, and this, again, another thing, you know, I was talking about Fury Unleashed and the way it looked and the way it moved, and, and I kind of, I saw the physics-y movement in this, and I thought, oh, I don't know how much I'm going to like this. Um, and yeah, it's all right. I mean, I'm not, like, thrilled by it, but it's certainly playable. I'm having fun. So, what the heck? And I like the variety in the weapons. It's a rare game with degrading equipment that I don't get frustrated by, but there's always something at hand, so it works out. And the variety of stuff's cool. The devil in this, where you can trade in, you you can take on a curse temporarily for a few rooms in exchange for items. I like that as opposed to just like a raw health deduction, Mm. which this game could very easily do and punish you perfectly adequately with. I I prefer that curse approach and and it works well here. Yeah, Uh, the levels are short, Uh, real short. Very much. And that's the kind I mean, I don't mind that. Yeah. But I also wouldn't mind having a couple more rooms in a stage to sort of yeah. help you, you know, build up some more um, 
progression. Yeah. So you can get a bit more of that whole thing of I have I have had a long enough run that I built up a I, I, I had one of those rare ridiculous builds that you get in a binding of Isaac or something where it's like, ah, I got enough concurrent things that this got wacky. Yeah, I'd like I'd like it to have that opportunity a little more. But on the whole, I think it's cool. Um I'm looking forward to getting a, a corporate mentor, I guess. Uh, and seeing whatever the hell that does for me. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's fun. I'm into it. I played two other things I'll very quickly rattle through. Um, I started playing the demo for Monster Hunter Stories 2. If you are looking for basically Pokemon Monster Hunters, this is that. There's not really much more to it. It is a turn-based JRPG where you have monsters you fight alongside. Difference to something like Pokemon is that you're not just using the creatures to attack you, the monster hunter, are also in the battle, so you have attacks and your creature you've brought into the battle has attacks as well, which is kind of a fun gimmick. Depending on whether you do a move that's the same element as the uh, the monster you're fighting alongside, uh, if they have the same element, that'll cause you to do a big super attack. You've got some moves that open up from like, ah, I'll ride my monster and we'll only get one turn rather than the two we would have if we were separate, but we can do bigger, stronger attacks because we're attacking as one unit. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a nice little spin on the Pokemon formula. I'm kind of having fun with that. I want to put a bit more time in. And I started playing through Sky, Children of the Light, which is um, that game company... It is the game they did for mobile that's finally come to other platforms. Oh. Did either of you play any of this? No. Don't. Okay. Duly noted. Sky very much wants to be another Journey, and it has a lot of the superficial elements that made Journey work. Like, you have non-verbal communication with other online players by doing little chirps. The difference here being... You might get 15 people in the environment with you at the same time, and that kind of takes the magic away from, wait, are you a, oh, you're a person, oh, what are we doing together? It doesn't have any of that magic of feeling like you're on a journey with one other person. You know how most of that game company's best stuff is wordless narratives that just sort of let the environmental storytelling tell you what's going on? Right. This feels the need to much, 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 much more handhold you, and every time, like, the camera pans over to a, a mural on a wall, rather than letting you, you know, take that in and try and work out what it what it's telling you about the story, uh, subtitles come up on screen to be like, and this is exactly what this one means. Uh, like, it... it won't stop giving you text to tell you what the story is and that is not to its benefit. The game really, really, really loves to completely take control out of your hands to pan the camera towards something, linger on it, pan back, then give you control again, which breaks up the feeling of exploration. Like, I don't feel like I can go more than a minute or so without... Oh, okay, the camera's taking me... Oh, oh yep. No, there's a big mountain there. I see it. I, I saw it a while ago. I'm, I'm, I'm on my way there, game. Yeah, but have you looked at it? We, we're going to force you to look at it for a minute. Okay, get back to heading towards it again. It feels a lot less trusting of the player's ability to just explore an environment and get on with, you know, the, the magic of discovery of your own. Also, the game has microtransactions and they're... Mm, mm, mm. Microtransactions, you say? Yeah. Buy game. It's a free-to-play game, but would you like to get it with the $30 starter pack with oh, some shit. cosmetics and some consumable candles and some 
this, that, and the other. I am a big proponent of that game company's stuff being wonderful. Even even the stuff that is not my favourite of their games, I'm still like, I can see the artistic value in what you have made here. This feels like cynical games as financial capitalism product. What if what if we made Journey into more of a capitalism? Yeah. And that's a real shame. Because if there's anything we need, it's more capitalism. Oh, God. I was listening. There's a, a NPR is a podcast called Throughline. And right now, or recently, they did a three-part series called What is Capitalism? And the first episode involves a debate with three professors, one of whom works for the Cato Institute. And for people who are unaware, the Cato Institute is a right-wing think tank. And, oh, my God, the thing's... The things that he said, his arguments, I, I did jot them down. Let me just find the notes that I put about, ah, uh, yes, okay. Uh, his arguments as the lone defender of the greatest economic system mankind has ever devised, his arguments came down to, we live better now than Louis XIV did. <laughs> <laughs> Some people are just going to complain about anything. Of course, of course. And if socialism hadn't come along in 1924 and Stopped capitalism. Hang on, I'm going to stop this. This is part one of a ludicrous idea that needs to be stopped capitalism. <laughs> capitalism was stopped in 1924. Haven't had any since. And had that not happened, World War II wouldn't have happened either. Well, I swear not. to God. <laughs> oh and now we've God. got a deal with fucking commies like Bobby Kotick. Bobby Commie? Commie Kotick. Either way. Capitalism would have saved us from the Nazis if we hadn't gotten rid of it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah if we hadn't tried to temper it with socialism, capitalism would have prevented World War II. Fucking hell. <laughs> <laughs> we got a couple of news stories this week. Should we, should we get those done? Yeah. Yeah. So our first news story this week uh, comes from thegamer.com and uh, is about a press event that went on uh, to do with Sniper Ghost Warrior Contacts 2. So there are some uh, criticisms people have made of the, of the piece, but the general idea is, hey, press event for new Sniper, Sniper Ghost Warrior game. Come meet us on location and play the game, and also some things will happen, as video game press events occasionally do. So the press people who went to this press event were taken to a company called Strategic Operations, which is a film and TV studio, or was a film and TV studio built in the 90s, that was then converted into a tactical training facility for police and military personnel that offers extreme military counter-terrorism training to civilians. I'm going to highly summarise what happened. Hey, here's a set of buildings made to look like they're the Middle East and some rotting animal carcasses. Have fake guns and get taught how, how to shoot Middle Eastern people while a Trump 2024 flag waves above the, the whole thing. They had role players um, dressed in, you know, Middle Eastern fashion. And and yeah, they were, you know, you were specifically, they were directed to target them. It was a... a a military exercise thing. And specifically, it was a lot of white people dressed up as people who were not white. Not ideal. Most games PR shouldn't be games PR. Well, and that's... Uh, here, the thing with this, because, you know, this story got published and the, yeah. the developer came out and said, whoa, sorry. And 
Understandably. Yeah, so the developers apparently did not go and check the location where this event was happening in person. They did not know the specifics in advance of what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. That is their fuck up. They are responsible for the event they sent people to. Now, they can they can say, and I don't know the specifics where this is concerned, you know, because they are... They may be working with a PR company or, you know, their publisher is working with a PR company that made this arrangement. And there's a chain of communication. There's going to be many people at fault along the way for this happening and not doing the appropriate due diligence regarding this facility and this program that they offered and how it was executed. That's a fuck up. However, I think the larger point is maybe don't coordinate with military training people yeah just generally yeah yeah also just like generally this event seems like it maybe didn't need to exist this event happened the day after the game had come out that was also unfortunate press had already been provided review code for the game it's not like press needed to attend this event in order to experience the game (laughs) i didn't hear about that bit (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and that's that's its own separate thing of it sure sounds like this like calling this a press event might be a little bit giving too much credit this does seem like hey come do a fun shoot some Fucking middle hell. eastern people so that you'll think more favorably about the game event well or you'll write a story about your experience and that is itself marketing for your yes. game you know and and sure enough somebody did write about the experience so i guess mission accomplished I guess. Yeah, basically, the apology from the developer boils down to, um, we couldn't go because of the pandemic. We're sorry uh, if this caused offense to some of you. We're very sorry. Well, and they are very lucky. By having not gone, they have plausible deniability. Yep, I will give them their plausible deniability in this circumstance. But they did fuck up and not do their due diligence. Yeah. Hey, video game companies, maybe military training exercises are not a necessary part of of games PR. I mean, you know, certainly in the United States, if you want to listen, if games press wanted to have a military experience, we have a volunteer military and they will take just about anyone at this point. So trust us, we can do it if we want to and just save your money. Other stories we have this week. So we don't know that the for certain that the company involved in this story is Sony, but it sure sounds like it's Sony, and also according to sources Kotaku spoke to, it's Sony. So I'm going to talk about the company in this story being Sony, but that is by best approximation and also sources who spoke to Kotaku. So indie game publisher Neon Doctrine, uh, their co-founder Ian Garner, went on a bit of a tirade on Twitter today about how promotion on a certain digital storefront on a certain console uh, that he referred to purely as Platform X happens to work. Uh, And there was a lot of interesting stuff that came out of this this story. And Platform X isn't a clue. Platform X isn't a clue as best I can tell. Maybe it is. Maybe it stands for... Okay. Is X far? No, X is 10 in Roman numerals, isn't it? But, you know, they they talk about Platform X blog. Yeah, that's the thing. They talk about the Platform X blog, which is the biggest, like, okay, neither Nintendo nor Microsoft really does the the Nintendo or Microsoft blog. Well, they've got Major Nelson, but... Yeah, not in the same way that, like, oh, indie developers do promotion for the PlayStation blog. 
Yeah, so he was a bit frustrated at how difficult it is to get your game promoted in any kind of meaningful way on the PlayStation uh, store. Uh, You apparently have to submit a platform-specific trailer, write a blog for the platform, submit multiple forms of social media. At that point, if Sony don't decide to give you promotion and you're like, okay, we're just going to get buried on the platform, you have to beg for any level of promotion and then money gets involved and it gets very, very uh, big very quickly. Apparently, you have to pay a minimum of $25,000 to have a featured spot on PSN, uh, with sources speaking to Kotaku reporting that the number can easily run as high as $200,000 for a weekend of having your game somewhat prominently placed on PSN store. Apparently, Sony, real, real, real bad with like, here is lots and lots and lots and lots of hoops you have to jump through, Mm, we've still decided not to actually give you any promotion. Do you want to give us at least 25 grand if you want to have people see that your game exists? So they're running it like health insurance. For legal reasons, I have absolutely nothing I can contribute to this conversation. That is fair. (laughs) That is just interesting information to have. I I saw some people talking on Twitter about this that uh, made an interesting point, which was... This perhaps sheds some light on why things like Xbox and particularly Game Pass are a much more positive looking prospect for some indie developers because that has a certain degree of built-in marketing and that is certainly an alternative to what might be going on on certain other platform holders' platforms. And then lastly, uh, we have to talk about Chris Avalon. Do we? There's a very brief thing to bring up about him. So remember how a while ago, a hundred plus people accused Chris Avalon of various, various uh, crimes that basically boiled down to getting them very drunk and then ignoring consent Mm. in various forms. So Chris Avalon has filed a lawsuit against all 100 plus people who made sexual misconduct allegations against him. Lawyers who understand legal stuff better than I do have generally agreed to the consensus of there is no way this lawsuit goes anywhere. This lawsuit seems to be something called a slap suit which the end goal is not to actually get any kind of conviction. It is to tie people up in legal battles so that they are not allowed to talk about the the situation. And if they don't have enough money to fight it, eventually having to just give in. For people who are unfamiliar with slap suits, John Oliver's Last Week Tonight did uh, a couple of segments over the course of the last couple of years about the now deceased coal magnate Bob Murray. Yes. And his famous use of slap suits. May he rot in hell. Yes. The basis of that was for about two years, Last Week Tonight couldn't talk about Bob Murray after their initial reporting because. He waved around frivolous lawsuits that he never expected to win, but he knew he had the money to keep fighting and keep appealing and keep appealing to make sure that John Oliver couldn't talk about his bullshit. And the allegation is very much that that is what's going on here with Chris Avalon. He is ensuring that his accusers cannot, for the foreseeable future, talk about their allegations because there's an ongoing lawsuit against them. (sighs) Hey, don't let that make you forget that there's over a hundred women who have accused Chris Avalon of sexual misconduct. That sure is a lot of women who've made that accusation, and he does not want you to think about that. I don't know. I think if he if he started a frivolous lawsuit to shut people up so that we couldn't hear accusations against him, 
I mean, he wouldn't do that if he didn't. I mean, I mean... If he did the bad things? He believes in it enough to try and force people's silence. This is about his character being assaulted, Steph. <gasps> yeah. Well, yeah. if a character's been assaulted... <laughs> he needs to sue them for money for his very hurt feelings. He's not suing them because they've lied, he's suing them for his hurt feelings. He's coming across as a bit of a prick. Don't sue me or anything. Yeah. I'm certainly not going to be rushing to go, yes, let's go support Chris Avalon's stuff anytime soon. Yeah. I mean, I'm not. I'm certainly not going to forget that there have been over a hundred accusations. Over a hundred is a lot of accusations to be made about a person. That's a lot of lawsuits. What's he going to do? Try and sue Steam users next? I mean, in fairness, it's a uh, hundred people, m- many of whom backing up a specific allegation, but still. Right. Yeah. Still, that's a lot. That is still a hundred, a hundred plus allegations is a lot of allegations. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. That, that's a lot of smoke for there to be no fire. Oh, God. What pillow. Yeah. God, this industry is just fucking exhausting. It fucking is. It's a lot. Yeah. But video games exist and we occasionally enjoy them. Yeah. Occasionally. Yeah. I played one last week that I really enjoyed and I forgot to mention. I'm just going to say the title. Life in the Crow House with Jonathan. <laughs> Tell me about Life played in the Crow House. a little bit myself. Yeah. You, yeah. you play uh, as Jonathan off Road Rules. Oh. He's a man we've heard of. And you are on a reality show called Life in the Crow House. And it is a house full of crows. Mm-hmm. And you go through Jonathan's life in the crow house, talking to crows. It's delightful. Yeah. The original pitch for Life in the Crow House wasn't delightful, but it's been turned into a very charming little experience yeah. with some very adorable writing and, and wonderfully characterized crows who are just having fun and not, in the original scenario, being shoveled through a window while Jonathan Holmes is is terrified. Yeah. It is a Boston's favorite Sun fan experience, experience in italics. <laughs> and uh, I, just to be to be fair, this is a fan experience. This is not yeah. actually in any way reflective of the experience of listening to Boston's favorite Sun. This is pretty good. Yeah, this is entertaining. <laughs> I'm playing it now. Mm. I'm Crow. I'm Crow. Ooh, God, that feels good to get off my system. <laughs> yeah, it's delightful. It's a real good time. I'll make sure the link to it is in the show notes. I love when people go out of their way to make fucking fan projects. I love it when they put the actual product to shame when they do that. Yeah. That's my favorite part. Thanks. The one I remember still is... um. Oh, uh, Urban Fucking Champions. I was just thinking about Urban Fucking Champion the other day, yeah. Yeah, go find these games. They're on itch.io. They are things you can go play that are well worth your time. Yeah. That's a better place for us to end this week, yeah. I think. Go play Life in the Crow House with Jonathan. Do we need to do this in future? Just keep a game to talk about after the news that we don't end on the depressing topic that is news. Or do we just talk about Life in the Crow House every week? Yeah, we might just do that. Every week we finish by talking about Life in the Crow House. Cool, agreed, done. Oh yeah, there's content in that. Yeah. There's content in that. So are we wrapped up? I think we are. I think right? we are. Ready to go back to our lives in the Crow House. Laura. Yeah. Some people live in houses full of crows. Some people do live in houses full of crows. They need to drown out the noise and get on with their life. And they need content to do that, I think, because there's just, you've got to take your mind off the crows. 
How? You can find all my stuff at Laura K Buzz everywhere. Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, Patreon, that's the one that pays the bills. Uh, I've got books. The important one at the moment is Gender Euphoria. It's about non-cis people telling positive gender-affirming stories. Go check that out. There are podcasts, Pixel Squirts, about video game porn, Queer and Pleasant Strangers, where I talk about the things that I've done in the week that aren't video games, Dice Funk, it's a Dungeons and Dragons podcast, I'm on seasons 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8, they're all their own stories, jump into whichever one you like. Also, I'm going to promote August 6th at 1pm UK, uh, in London, outside Downing Street, I am helping to organise a trans rights protest that is going on, so if you are in the mood to get shouty and protesty about trans stuff and want to be inconvenient to politicians, come along to Downing Street, August 6th, 1pm. Come see a bunch of trans people be protesty and get in the way. So you should you should go check that out. Conrad, you were on... I talked about Dicefuck a minute ago. You were on that before. I sure was. And uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Conrad Zimmerman. Uh, you could buy anti-capitalist propaganda from me at pinfultruth.com or audiobooks that I make at conradreads.com. Or you could come and hang out with me live on Twitch four days a week at a variety of times, twitch.tv slash thatconradzimmerman. And I also do other podcasts. Let's talk about snacks with Linda Camiolo and Lauren Morgan talking about snacks. They're real good. I made a funnel cake last week. Funnel cake rules. I also do the spin-off Doctors with James Stephanie Sterling. Hello. Uh, we just put out the Mortal Kombat 2021 episode, so you can mm. go listen to that right now, too. And everything I do online gets supported by Patreon, patreon.com slash fistshark. And you know who else has a Patreon? Who? Why, it is James Stephanie Sterling. <laughs> patreon.com slash jimquisition and twitch.tv slash jimsterling, which will have the Polyam Cult Party on it <laughs> on... Saturday. Let's just say on Saturday. <laughs> At a time. Go follow the, the Jim Sterling Twitch channel and be following because then you'll get notifications when the channel goes live. Exactly. Yes. I don't want to build up hype or anything, but this will be my first real match. Like, I mean, I say real match as in I haven't brought any steps this time. I haven't brought a match where most of the beating up is done by Mr. Grimm and David Lawless, or it's me beating up my intern Craig. And stop complaining about it, you bastard. The suit made you look fat. <laughs> I am in a match with the great Bambina. Lot of hype for her coming in. And I'll be taking on, we'll be taking on Kimberly Spirit and Zach Belmont, the Beauty and the Beast Slayer. Uh, that'll be on Saturday. Maybe 2pm Eastern? Maybe 4pm Eastern? I don't know yet. It's been really hard to promote this one. But yeah, it'll be at some point, and I hope you'll come along. The turnout for, for Rise Returns was amazing, and I would love to, to match that. Uh, that'll do. Thank you so much. Fill my dumper, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs>